This week, we're talking about the helmet of salvation. And I've got Ben here with me. He's a firefighter. And Ben, obviously, when you're going into a fire, you're, you're not going into it with, you know, a beanie on or just a ball cap turned backwards. You, you have a helmet and it's there for a reason. So tell me a little bit about the role your helmet plays as you're going in to fight a fire. The helmet's kind of, it's, it's the badge of honor for firefighters in general. I mean, that's the piece that goes around with them from, from everything. And so it tells a lot of stories. It tells where they've been at. But first and foremost, it protects your brain. It protects what you're thinking and being able to cognitively think about what you're doing to move forward in that fire so that you can not only save yourself, but save lives if lives are at bay. So that helmet, if you know, as a building or structure or whatever might start to collapse or you know, you're fighting a grass fire and trees are falling, that helmet, I mean, it, it can be your salvation. It can help save you if, if stuff starts to start crumble, crumbling around you, right? Yeah, and you know, we've had many instances that guys have turned helmets in and had to get new helmets because of just that. I mean, it's protected and it's done its job. How much, how much pressure can your helmet feel like it can be hit? How much, how much pressure can it? I'm glad sustain? I can't tell you. <laughs> well, good morning. Man, it is so good to see you. It doesn't matter where you're engaging. We have people at our physical campuses, south and north parts of Abilene. We also have our online family. Wherever you are engaging, I encourage you to get a Bible. Always do. We're in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible underneath your chair or the chair in front of you is a black color Bible at our physical campuses. We're on page 979 in that Bible. And our online family, if you're on our online campus and there's actually a Bible icon, you can click there. We just love having you as we engage the Word of God this morning. Now, as you turn to the text, I want to ask you a question. And I dare you to be as honest as you can um, with the answer. I want you to know that the reason for the question is not to promote some sense of guilt. It's not to make us feel bad. It's to point out a reality I think we all face. Here's the question. It's real simple. In a given day, how often do you think about God? Now, I know right now we're all saying, hey, I'm in pretty good shape right now. I'm not talking about Sunday. What about on your average Monday? What about on a Wednesday? Or a Saturday with all the kids' activities? Just on a given day, how often do the thoughts of God and his reality come to your mind? Again, I'm not saying that, that we have some weird feeling of guilt that somehow makes us feel like we did church. That's not what we're talking about. I'm just thinking there may be a scheme of the enemy that we minimize. What if is something so seemingly innocuous as distraction, something so seemingly harmless as lack of focus, might that be a scheme of the enemy to destroy? And I know you have this temptation right now to say you're making much ado out of nothing. But before you dismiss me, as making too much out of a small thing. Look at Ephesians chapter six, verse 16. The text says, in all circumstances, say all. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And in all circumstances, take up the helmet of salvation. Now of all the pieces of a first century Roman soldier's armor that we get, we get helmets, right? I doubt many of us have ever had to rush into a house or a building that's on fire, but we can really begin to understand why you would need a helmet on, like a really good helmet. We get helmets. In this day and age, you wear a helmet for everything, do you not? Man, when I was a kid, we wore a helmet for nothing. 
We rode our bikes, we rode our skateboards, we did our inline rollerblades, things like that. We needed helmets, but we didn't have helmets. I get why we need helmets today. It's a good thing. When we hear the word helmet in West Texas, we automatically think of what? Football, baby. It's that time of year, isn't it? I mean, we in the big country, we are in the heart of Texas football country. It is the 1st of August. The 1st of August means the lights of Friday night are about to shine, right? And if you're gonna play football, you have to wear a helmet. Come on. Chris, Chris, call him. Call him. Call him. You're in the game, come on. Hey, 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 son, come here, come here. Where are you going? You don't you want me to go in, coach? You don't want a helmet? Where's your helmet? Uh, go get it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You see my helmet, man? Find your helmet, yeah, son. Helmet. What you looking for, water boy? Uh -huh. Hey, let me get this real quick. No let way. Get your helmet, man. Come on, come on. Oh, man. My goodness gracious. Booby. Water boy, you can't come out here with no helmet, man. Yeah, yeah. You see my helmet right here? I can still go in. Uh, 28 sweet. 28 sweet. You don't know where your helmet is! What are you thinking? Since when did you put your helmet? And every young man in West Texas that had to try football at least one year is having a little trigger to a post-traumatic stress thing of a coach yelling at him like that, right? We, we get that reality, right? You know you can't play football without a helmet on. Why? Because we've learned over the decades the truth that without our brain being healthy, we can't think right. Our ability to think correctly is tied to a physically healthy brain, but that's not just true in the physical. It is just as true in the spiritual. In our war against the enemy, the way we think is of utmost importance. In this passage, look at verse 16 and 17 again. It's like the apostle Paul's a coach, and he's looking at you and I and getting right up in our face and saying, do you not know that you live life with a helmet on? See, there is a truth. Most of our battle against the enemy is not the circumstances we face. It's not the situations we run across. The battle is in the mind. For though we live in the world, the Bible says, we do not wage war as the world does. No, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You say, what are the strongholds? We demolish arguments the way we think. Every pretension, the way we think, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, if we desire to be strong in the Lord, if we desire to have more victory in our day-to-day -day lives, we have to wear a helmet in all circumstances. Take up the helmet of salvation. Now, I'll be honest with you. I think I've read the sixth chapter of Ephesians in the hundreds of times. In my 43 years of following Jesus, I might be in the thousands. But here's what's amazing about the Word of God. The Word of God is not a book. It's the voice of God. It is living and active. So even if you've read a passage hundreds, if maybe thousands of times, God will still speak to you. And I had that happen to me this week because in all the times that I've read the six chapters of Ephesians, I don't think I ever really saw these three words. In 
all circumstances, in all situations in life. It doesn't matter if life is going great or life is really bad. It doesn't matter if your schedule is really, really full and you feel like you're running from sun up way past the sundown, you have no space whatsoever, or if you happen to be in one of those places where you have some space in your life. It doesn't matter spiritually if you're on a mountaintop or if you feel like you're in the valley of despair. In all circumstances, somebody say all. All means 24-7. It means in all circumstances, in all situations, every day, I need to have my mind protected. Now, over the past couple years, if you've been around Beltway Park, you're thinking, dude, we've talked about the brain a lot. We've talked about thinking and the way we think, and we have. Last fall, we did a whole spiritual growth campaign called Flip the Script. And if you weren't here and you want to talk about how to renew our mind, how to take on the mind of Christ, that's a great series to be in. But in these three words about the helmet of salvation in all circumstances, there is a truth that has begun to resound inside of me. A truth that I challenge needs to become a part of our regular, I'm gonna be even so radical as to say daily life. You see, the truth is this, the intentional practice of God focus empowers victory. The intentional practice of focusing on God empowers victory. That's why I asked you earlier, how often in a given day do you think about God? It was several years ago, I was at a golf tournament, one of those charity golf tournaments, I don't play golf. And I was at a charity golf tournament and one of our elders, a good friend who's gone on to be with the Lord, he was trying to help my golf game. Now, to be honest with you, a little bit of help at a charity golf tournament is not gonna help my golf game. But he was watching me and I'd hit the ball all over the place and he said, hey, can I help you with your golf game? And I think, I think I'm beyond Jesus' help with my golf game. But if you wanna try, you can. And he said, let's start with one little thing, you need to get your feet right. I said, okay, what do I need to do? He says, you need to move your feet. I said, okay, how much? And he goes, like a few inches. And I go, dude, come on. A few inches, that's what you're telling me, right? He goes, think about it, David. He said, if you're only gonna hit a ball like two feet, which I had done several times already that day, um, he said, it's not gonna matter where your feet are pointed because it's not gonna go very far, but if you happen to hit the ball and you happen to hit it straight and you're just a few inches off, the further it travels away from the tee box, the further, further away it is gonna get from the center that you want it to be at. He says, so it's of utmost importance that we're dead on. What if distraction is like just being a little bit off, but the enemy can distract us and then we stay distracted, and we stay distracted, and we stay distracted, and the further we walk in life, the more distracted we are, the further we find ourselves away from that which is vital. See, how often in a given day do we think about God? I ask it of myself this week, and I'll be honest with you, I I didn't like the answer. Could it be that something so seemingly innocuous, something so seemingly powerless and harmless as distraction and lack of focus, could it be a scheme of the enemy to destroy? And I know you're probably thinking right now, Pastor, this is all good and great, but I live in the real world, dude. I work a real job. I don't work one day a week like you. Ha, by the way, I've heard the joke a lot. I don't work at a church where we just get to focus on God all the time. Now listen to me, I I get that mentality. But I've been doing the church world now for about 35 years, literally been employed full-time by a church for 35 years. 25 years I have been at Beltway Park. And there's something unique about the church world that really you can find yourself distracted from God in the midst of talking about God all the time. It's an amazing scheme of the enemy. But if you will just trust me on this, that I can tell you unequivocally that the answer to having focus on God is not to come work for the church. We are all in the same boat in terms of keeping our focus on God. But it's not just us in this generation. It has been every generation. 
the book of the Bible that talks more about the unseen spiritual war that we face in any book in the Bible besides Ephesians is the book of Daniel. Now, as soon as I said Daniel, some of you have been around the church world and go, whoo, I remember stories from the book of Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thrown into a fiery furnace, Jesus meets him there, at least I think it was Jesus. He saves him from the fiery furnace. And the guy named Daniel, he was thrown into the what? The lion's den, but God shut the mouths of the lions and rescued him. Question, do you remember why Daniel was in the lion's den? It has to do with this. Catch the scene. 200 years before Daniel, Israel, the nation, has a civil war. It divides into two nations. It's in the north, Israel, and the south, Judah. Both nations struggle in their relationship with God. God sends prophets to them, but they don't listen to the prophets. And the north has a lot harder time than the south. God keeps telling them, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to take my hand of protection off of you, not to destroy you, but to awaken, to awaken you to your need of me. Israel doesn't listen in the north. They are taken over by a country called the Assyrians. Okay, 721 BC. 150 years later, same thing happens to Judah. They are destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. You got the dates? There'll be a test next week. Can't come back to church if you don't have it, okay? That was a joke, by the way. Some of you say, I just watch online. You can't stop me. I get it. 20 years before Judah is taken into captivity. We're talking about like 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar is already running the area, the emperor of Babylon. And he does what he always does. Anytime he would go and begin to oversee a country, he would take the best young leaders. So he would find the teenagers that had the highest acumen, the highest abilities, and he would remove them from their land and he would take them back to Babylon and he would train them in the ways of the Babylonians and they would serve in his court. That is how Daniel... A Jewish young man ends up in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. It is how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego end up in that area. If you read the book, which I really encourage you to do if you don't have anything you're reading right now, it's just 12 chapters long. When you're reading that book, you're gonna be amazed because Daniel, this Jewish exile, this young man who's not Babylonian, he's not Persian, he finds himself in the inner circle of not one, not two, not even three emperors of the day, but you find that he's in the inner circle of four emperors. The four most powerful men on planet Earth at the time, Daniel ends up being an advisor to. Side note, if you think God has abandoned the leadership of the world, you are absolutely wrong. I am utterly convinced that in the life of every leader in our world, there's a Daniel, there's an Esther, there is a prophetic voice that is trying to speak truth because God's trying to bring his kingdom into the world. Don't live hopeless. God is speaking. I'm not saying they're gonna listen, but I'm telling you God is speaking. The third emperor, not a Babylonian this time, but a Persian by the name of Darius, Daniel finds himself not only in the court of advisors, he is the key advisor. So Daniel, a Jewish man, not Persian, finds himself being the go-to guy of the most powerful man of planet Earth. If I may, he is like the chief of staff. And all the other advisors, most of whom are Persian, they are very, very jealous of Daniel and where he is. And they want that to change, so they devise a plan. And that plan is they manipulate the emperor Darius based upon the law of the Medes and the Persians, based upon the pride of Darius, and they say this, Darius, we think it would be a great edict if you said that when people pray, they can only pray to you. Why did they do this? Because they knew of a practice in Daniel's life. 
And something within them knew he wasn't going to change it no matter what. What was it? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, the document that said, you can only pray to Darius, he went to his house. He had a window in the upper chamber, and it was open towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. But notice this phrase. As he had done what? As he had done always. Now really see this. At the risk of his life, Daniel refused to quit the intentional practice that enabled him to focus on God. Now it's interesting because some of us are thinking, well that must be what God commanded. Hear me, there is no command in the law of Moses that says you have to pray three times a day. There's no direction, there's no commandment, there is nothing that said Daniel had to do that, but Daniel had a reality in his life. He knew a truth. He knew that if he lost focus on God, he would fail and fall in this godless land of Babylon and Persia. So now, connected to our world, think about it. Have you discovered that one of the hardest things to do as a follower of Jesus is to stay focused on God? Come on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, if you get stirred today, and you're gonna to start tomorrow, which I encourage you to do, you're gonna say, I'm gonna give myself an extra 15 minutes, and I'm gonna read the Bible and pray a little bit before I enter into my day. You will find that tomorrow morning is the hardest morning for you to get up that you've had in a long time. Or when you open that Bible and you start to read it, you find a lot of times your mind just begins to go like, whoo, all these thoughts begin to hit, one after one after one after another. Or you try to pray, it's like you can't keep your mind straight. You know what I'm saying? Or I have people tell me all the time, the hardest day for my family to get going, Sunday. I mean, think about that. Some of you are saying it right now. And you're not like taking your kids to school at eight. We're talking about 1045. We're talking about 11 at the North Campus. We're talking about late, Right? And yet we find ourselves struggling to get here. It seems extreme, but it's almost like there's an enemy who's just doing things to try to keep our focus away from God. And it doesn't seem like that big a deal, especially the first step. But what about the 10th step? What about the 20th step? What about the 50th step? Make no mistake. The enemy is trying to distract our focus because he knows reality. The enemy knows that when we lose our focus, we lose our power. We lose our power to bring his life to our families, his kingdom to our friends, his will to those in our world. And he knows this, when we lose focus, we become vulnerable to his attacks because we have removed ourselves from the source of our protection. And I know you're beginning to think right now, well, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they lived in a different way. They didn't live in a normal world. They lived from one miracle to another miracle to another miracle to another miracle. Wrong. Two miracles in the book of Daniel. One in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One in the life of Daniel. That's it. The rest of their life was just normal. In fact, the rest of their life was really hard. Daniel is taken away from his home as a teenager. As far as we know, he never sees his family again. He grew up going to a local church, a synagogue. And sometimes daily, that's probably where he was educated, at least weekly he would be in that synagogue. And now as a young man, 14, 15 years old, probably never sees a synagogue again, never goes to the temple in Jerusalem again. I don't mean to be crass, 
but it is highly, highly, highly likely that Daniel was castrated and made a eunuch. Same is true of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That would have been the norm for anyone who was going to enter into the court of an emperor. See, when you read the Old Testament, we have all these genealogies. We even have them at the first of the New Testament. And I know we wrestle with that because we wonder why it's so important. There's a reason of importance for it that we'll have to talk about later. But you can read all the genealogies in both the Old and New Testament, and guess what you'll never find? Daniel. He had no wife. He had no sons to carry on his name, which was huge in the Jewish world. You add to that as soon as he showed up first in Babylon, and then when the Persian Empire took over the Babylonian Empire, every day he was inundated with the ideologies, philosophies, and theologies of first the Babylonians and the Persians. He was trained in them so he could be an advisor to the emperor. Every day he was systematically trained to think differently than what he had learned in the synagogue and what he had learned of God. Daniel's life was far from easy. If anyone had a reason to be mad at God, Daniel. Anyone had a reason to doubt God's love, Daniel. But Daniel, you read the book, he stood strong. He lived in victory day to day in his life. How? Because he stayed connected. He made sure he had an intentional practice that helped him stay focused on God. If I may, in all circumstances, somebody say all even when you're removed from your godly culture and put into an ungodly one like Daniel, in all circumstances, he wore the helmet of salvation. What if, listen to me, I'm about to get really radical on you here. What if we did something that was similar? Now, some of you are thinking right now, dude, you are going crazy. You're talking about every day. I'm talking about more than once a day. I'm asking, what if the battle is that intense? And we could do something as radical as Daniel so we could stand as strong as Daniel. Think about our world. We live in a world of distraction, do we not? So much information coming at us. You know that in the year 2022, we will create more information and publish it, meaning put on the internet, than they did in the beginning of human history all the way to the year 2000 AD. All those thousands of years, data, one year, 2022, more data, and they say we will likely double it in 2023. And not only do you have all that data that's being published, you have some creative people doing very creative things to get you to look at that which they publish. There are thousands of voices out there right now. You know it. And those voices are saying, look at me. Watch me. Listen to me. I have what you need. And I'm not saying all those things are evil. I'm just saying they can be distracting and the longer we're distracted and the move, more we move in the way of that distraction we get disconnected from that which is most vital which is necessary for us to live in victory and I'm going to challenge just like Daniel if you want to have on the helmet of salvation in all circumstances you're going to have to be intentional so I personally have taken the challenge. I feel like the Lord gave me a strategy this week for me. I'm gonna share my me strategy with you. You're welcome to take it, but really I've just taken it from Daniel. So what I did, I look at Daniel, and Daniel prayed three times a day. Now I think we have this idea that when Daniel prayed three times a day, he like stopped and prayed for like hours at a time. The text doesn't say that. What if he just made a way during a break time? I don't know if the Persians gave breaks or not. I don't know if they were unionized or anything like that. Actually, no, they were not unionized. What if he just had a moment and he went up to that window and opened to Jerusalem and he said, my father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know you can say that prayer in about 30 seconds? What if it was just a couple of minutes? What if he just systematically made sure regularly in his day he turned his attention and his focus back on God and he refocused his brain on truth so that he could stand strong? All of a sudden, that becomes doable for us, does it not? And so it hit me. Daniel did it three times. I will confess to you, I'm a bit competitive. And I thought, Daniel did three times. I'm going to go four. I'm just going to up it a little bit and see what happens. So I'm going to start in the morning. First thing in the morning, what I want is I want to wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Today is about you and not about me. That's probably going to be the end of it right there because I'm going to go find coffee. And I'm going to drink coffee and get my mind awakened. And then I already have a habit. It's a great habit. I engage scripture first thing in the morning. I have a Bible reading plan. I think everyone should have one. I read systematically through the Bible. I love it. Through that, I do that. I often have a book I'm reading that helps me grow um, spiritually, and I'll read portions of that book, and then I pray. You may think that sounds like hours. It is not. It is minutes. It's more than two or three minutes, but it's not hours. It just varies from morning to morning. But now I'm going to add a strategy to that. At the end of my, little, my time in the morning, I'm going to take this thing called a phone. Have you heard of it? It's an amazing device that we have. I'm going to take my phone, and there's a thing called an alarm. And I am going to take my alarm and I'm going to set one in the morning and I'm going to set one in the afternoon. Now I'm going to set it at different times because my schedule changes. So I'm going to look at my schedule and say this would be a great time that I could take five minutes. I could focus my attention on God. This would be a great time in the afternoon. So I started it. I had the idea on Monday. I started it on Tuesday. I was so excited. Tuesday morning I set my alarm. Tuesday at 10.05, it went off, and I was in utter shock. I had already forgotten all about it. I mean, we're talking about like three hours ago. I had set the alarm, and the alarm went off. They're like, what's going off on my phone? Oh, yeah. And then I smiled. It works. And I turned my attention to the Lord a little bit. He said, what did you do, man? You can just give thanks to God for some things you need to give thanks to. You can give praise to God for attributes of who he is. Maybe you want to meditate on some scripture you saw this morning. Like the scripture I saw this morning, John said, the greatest of joy I have is to know when my brethren walk in truth. Yeah, I get that. I've been thinking about that this morning because I love it when people walk in truth because it leads to life. Maybe it's a scripture you're thinking about. Maybe there's a declaration that you're making and you spend some time making that declaration. Maybe you just need to worship. And so you actually listen to a worship song and engage in it. Like if you're at the workplace, you probably shouldn't be loud, but you can engage. I don't know what you're going to do, but we just engage. We turn our attention to God. I'm not talking about robbing from your employer. I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual and say we do ours. I just take a few minutes and set our mind on God. Then in the afternoon, I'm going to do the same thing. And then when I go to bed, the way I normally go to sleep is I start reading a book. And before I read a book, I'm going to do the same thing again. But I'm going to talk to God. My confession at night is I'm bringing God into my sleep, the 127th Psalm. Unless you build a house, O God, we who build labor in vain. Unless you watch over a city, we who stand guard, stand guard in vain. In vain, we rise up early and stay up late, toiling to make things happen. No, you grant sleep, O oh God, to those whom you love. And so I declare, O oh God, that you are building my house and you are building my family. You are guarding my house and you are guarding my family. And I will labor unto you, but I will not labor as, as if it is up to me. It is up to you. And so I'm going to sleep in you who never slumbers and you who never sleep. You're going to continue to work to do your work in my life and the life of the people I love. 
See, you got one right there. I just made that up kind of right there. That was good. We'll get that on tape. You do it again the next day. And I know you're looking at me like, that's too simple. And we think if something is simple, it's unsophisticated. But think with me for just a moment. We have all these creative people in the world. And they're trying to get you to listen to them. And with all the creativity they have out there, what did they create? An alert on your phone. That's it. Ding, 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 ding. You have all these alerts. Everybody wants to have you an alert. Why? Because it means pay attention. What if, this, what if you turned off those alerts? You can always look at that stuff later. You know something new's coming on TikTok. You don't have to have an alert to tell you that. You know there's gonna be a new post on social media. You know there's gonna be another news article. You don't need to know all that kind of stuff. What if you turn those alerts on and you created your own alert? Alert! He is still in charge. God is still on the throne. He still loves me with a love that I cannot begin to understand. And I pray, oh God, that I have power. Gather with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is your love and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that I may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ. I need to know this morning, that, this morning at 10.15 in my office. And you just did stuff like that again and again and again. What would happen? I think it's got more transformative power than you can ever imagine. The prophet said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, fixed, focused on you because he trusts in you. I am telling you, I can't describe to you what perfect peace is yet. I think I've tasted it at moments, but I want it. And the more I can get to my mind being focused and stayed in all circumstances, helmet of salvation, the more we will walk in peace that transcends the understanding of the day. Are you hearing me? The practice of intentional focus empowers victory in our lives. Now here is what I've learned in all my years. That which is life and strength giving, it must be purpose. Doesn't happen if you're not intentional. If you want to change like your physical health, you gotta like change the way you eat, do you not? You probably have to do some actions. Like for me, I have a massive sweet tooth. If I need to change my physical health, I gotta purge the pantry of like little Debbie. I'm telling you, little Debbie and I, we've gone through some situations together, you know what I'm saying? The problem with little Debbie is she stays with you. She stays here, for some of you it's a little bit back here. I mean, some of you know what I'm saying, right? For me to get better, I gotta cast out in Jesus' name little Debbie and everything like unto her. In a moment of strength, I do that which is wise so that in a moment of weakness, I have to take a lot of extra steps to be stupid. So in a moment of strength, let's be intentional and let's say I'm gonna do some things that I'm gonna focus on God. What habits can we create? A habit normally takes 21 to 60 days to create. You're not gonna do it perfectly, you're gonna fail, okay. I forgot to do my alarm on Thursday. I was preaching Thursday night and thought, hmm, I didn't set the alarms that I said I'm gonna set this morning. What did I do? I set them on Friday. Don't let perfection get in the way of progress. Just walk with the Lord. 
See what he has for your life. So can I be brash enough to ask you a question? It's real simple. Because I really am asking us to do something. What do you think God might be leading you to do so that you can have God focus in all circumstances? It doesn't have to look anything like what I'm doing. I just stole from Daniel. If you like what Daniel did and you like something I did, take it, massage it, change it, amend it. I don't care. I'm just telling you, I think we need a plan. We need a strategy so that in all circumstances I can help wear the helmet of salvation and stay focused on God. Now, while you're contemplating that, you're putting your notes away and all that, we're not close to being finished. Well, we're semi-close. It's closer than we were 30 minutes ago, okay? I wanted you to consider one thing. One of the things that I think help keep focus in our brains as much as anything is a community that has intentional conversation about the things of God. I've walked with Jesus now 43 years. For 43 years, I've been in a group. For 43 years, I've had the group stir the way I think. Like most of our groups here at Beltway, my group is on summer break. And that's right and good. It's good for us as members, good for us as a leader, but I miss it. Because my group is, it's really unique because I've got this group of people and we talk about my sermon, which can create some really awkward moments because they're pretty honest about life. But what I get amazed at is what God shows them in the middle of my sermons. Like I've thought several times, what I need to do is get my group together, preach my sermon, let them talk about it so I can take all the ideas that God gives them and put in my sermon. I could have some really good sermons. But what really happens is all through the week, I'm thinking about the thing so-and-so said and the thing so-and-so said. It spurs my brain to think and be focused. We're going to be launching our group's season this fall. We're going to have a great spiritual growth campaign. If you're not part of a group, I, I can't implore you enough to be part of one. If you know someone in a group, just go join theirs. That's great. But we're going to have opportunities to jump into a group. And I just tell you, you need to be a part of one. To help make that happen, we always need to launch new groups all the time. And I need some of you who would consider being host for eight weeks for our fall series. Now some of you think that that's, that's a big step. I understand. I'm not asking you to commit this morning. I'm asking you to talk to us about what it would look like. If the Lord's stirring you, would you just fill out the insert that's in your park news? Or better yet, take that phone thing you have, use the camera, get the QR code, fill out the information. All you're saying is I'll talk to you about what would it look like? We're talking about eight weeks. Eight weeks where you facilitate a group. You don't have to worry about creating content. We're going to give you content to go over. We're going to give you training on how to do that. We're going to have stuff for your children to do. Uh, we have children's ministries that are available at various times. I'm telling you, it's all facility. We just need people who are willing. And I'm asking, some of us need to find two or three people in our current group and say, hey, we're going we're to kind of break off and we're going to open up another group because we've got more people who need to be part of a group. We need to be part of community. We, every year, have hundreds of groups. And the way we do that is we have people who are willing to step up and lead those. And I am telling you, one, if you're a leader right now, thank you so much. It facilitates so much life, but I'm asking some of you to be willing to take that step. If the Lord's stirring you right now, just take those steps, fill out that insert, take it to the um, kiosk, south campus in the south foyer here. North campus, you take it to the foyer at the group's kiosk, you go there. Again, all you're willing to say is, I'm willing to talk to somebody about this. And what you're doing when you say, I'm willing to take the lead, is you are creating an opportunity where people can have a radical time of God focus. Conversation about how to live out the things of God, wrestling with the things of God, wrestling with the enemy together, supporting one another, something that will take them into the weeks, the months ahead. So I would ask you to strongly consider that. All of us, man, I want you to be part of a group. Are you hearing me? 
The practice of intentional focus. Not on just anything, but on God himself empowers victory. We need that in our life. I know it's radical, but I'm asking you to do a radical thing in a radical age that's gonna bring a radical victory in your life. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Both campuses, online, family right now. Just take a moment. What's the Lord leading you to do? What's he leading you to do to intentionally practice God focusing your daily life? Just say yes to that. I, I do think what we do on Sunday is a big part of that. We need to purpose to make this as regular as we can. If you are online, my challenge is, I love the fact that we can do online in this day and age. The focus and the engagement is harder online. And so you're gonna have to work really hard to make sure you're engaged or focused or you're gonna have to say, man, being in person is just gonna be better. But I would utilize this. You utilize being a group. Just say yes now. Say, yeah, I'm gonna be a part of that. I'm gonna rejoin a group. I'm gonna be part of one. But what's the thing you're gonna do every day? Come on, ask the Lord. And maybe you don't know. So what you can do is say, okay, Lord, I need you to show me in the next couple of days. I say yes to whatever you're gonna show me. And you create a strategy. I'm gonna give you 48 hours. I think if you don't do it in 48 hours, it'll be gone in the midst of all the stuff we do. But why don't you say, Lord, in 48 hours, give me my strategy for what I do on a daily basis. And then you start to enact it. Start to walk in it. And see if the promise of scripture doesn't hold true. You, oh God, keep the man, the woman in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you fixed on you because that man, that woman trusted you. Father, that's what I declare that we are going to be a men and women of radical focus. That we are going to see you in the midst of all things and you're going to give us practices like Daniel of old. May we as your people be strong in you and in the power of your might. May we put on the whole armor of God and this week, give us our strategy that in all circumstances, let us take up the helmet of salvation. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.